Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello, friends, and welcome to Hat Jam Extras, where for the weeks in between episodes, we take a deeper look into some of the creative experiences of our songwriting guests. I'm your host, Cav Tempoli, and this week we're going to take you back to the musically romantic surroundings of Laurel Canyon and to the home and jam room of Mr. Ben Lee. This episode was recorded just weeks before the world shut down and everyone had to stay home and stay safe. Myself and Studio Cat hope you are all staying home and staying safe. But in the meantime, on with the show. This is Hat Jam. Ben, can you talk us through your demoing process and how long it takes you to get from a few scribbles on a page to a complete song? I don't like MIDI and I don't tend to separate the recording of a song from the song. Like while I understand that a song can take many different forms, it's almost like the sacredness of it should be that every form is possibly its ultimate form. So every time you lay it down... It, it, to me, if you like use MIDI and do like a demo, it's almost like it's like denying the possibility that you're making the definitive version. If there's a sound that's only on MIDI yeah. that we're like, oh my god, I've got a great sound for this, yeah. but the I it should be the final sound. Sure. Like I don't believe in demos really, yeah. um, because it's sort of like what's the point? Like you're shooting yourself in the foot. If if lightning strikes and you make something beautiful. Mm-hmm. If you've recorded it in a way that's sterile or temporary, you're kind of like, you've basically sucked the enthusiasm out of the future recording and you have nothing to show for it. So that's something that like, I, I don't, uh, you know, I, I prefer to treat each thing as the thing. And in some ways, even songs like, um, like Catch My Disease, the demo we recorded of that song on a, um, I had a Blackberry then, so it wasn't on the iPhone, but maybe it was like, on a little tape recorder or something. In some ways to me, that is the definitive version of that song. Like we were backstage at the glass house in Pomona and making up lyrics. And we just had the, that's the way I like it thing. And so I would just be making up stupid lyrics and the band we were jamming along, everyone was laughing. And then we'd come in in these harmonies. And in some ways that was sort of the best version of that song ever heard. I was lucky in that the album version of it came a very close second to the point that it contained enough energy. But I'm, I don't know. It's like what happens in the beginning of things is sort of like prescient and important. Yeah, I I agree. I mean, so do you think that it's possible to carry an essence, which is what you're talking about, through the demoing process through to the final version? Because, I mean, you look at these, you know, massive albums like, you know, let's uh, look at like Fleetwood Mac Rumours, you know, apparently they re-recorded over the tape so many times that, you know, the, the it was like they had to kind of have someone when they were mixing it down just keeping the two tape machines in sync with each other because mm. one tape had warped so much. And obviously they went through such a process to get to this record that we now go, wow, that is a classic record. And, um, you know, another band, you know, whether you love them or loathe them is like you too and they kind of have this approach where they'll just keep battering this thing until it's like into 
into place. And uh, we did a, a one of these hat jams with Sarah McLeod, and I think the way she explained it is just like keep replacing the the shit bits with good bits. Mm. <laughs> so, um, but I but I love one of my favorite records is PJ Harvey's four track demos, and and I and some of those songs were re recorded, and I'm like, yeah, I kind of like it, but I don't really like it as much as four track demo because there's an essence yeah. to it, you know. I, that- I have I have this duo Radner and Lee, and me and Josh, my partner, we sort of um, we have a philosophical difference of opinion about this that we've come to realize is what we're working through, which is that um, I don't think the it's about how many times you do it. It's about why you're doing it another time. And I don't want input from anybody. I want input from my collaborators. But if the reason you're doing more versions is because someone saying, uh, do a better one or do a slicker one or you should change this or change that. You've corrupted it. Whereas if you have such a feeling of this could be better. You recently recorded an album of covers uh, called Quarter Century Classics. How do you feel looking back and looking into these uh, these amazing songs that other people have written and and having to learn them and sing them and find your own truth mm. in, in each of these songs? How do you find that that has informed you or helped your songwriting technique? Well, um, most of it, I think, was unconscious at mm-hmm. the beginning. So th- those covers you're talking about were all bands and songs I fell in love with 14, 15, 16 years old. And at that time, it's more like you just go, ooh, I like how this makes me feel. Mm. But the craft of it, you're probably not as conscious of. And it's interesting, like things like um, Sonic Youth, um what that band meant to me and sonically what they meant to me aesthetically, I realized that a lot of um, older people than me had that experience with the Grateful Dead Mm. because it was an opening into a more psychedelic understanding of a non-linear understanding of music. Opening a new door that you're like, ooh, what's going on? Yeah, and and sort of abstraction, the door of abstraction and danger and a Mm. little seediness, but also kind of like community and movement beyond the individual. And it's funny how you mentioned 16 was when these kinds of songs appear to you because that's really where as humans we start to explore abstract thought for the first time and yeah and in songwriting that's such an important kind of road to go down because you're not being so literal about stuff you're going into this other place where you know you look at sonic youth and and what they did with the guitars and all the rest of it i mean you know that was as important to me about the songwriting of sonic youth and the lyrics and the melody you mentioned song craft before. Let's talk about the structure. We both did a record with Ed Buller. Yeah. Um, you did your Breathing Tornadoes record with Ed, and we did our first album, Girl, uh, with Ed Buller. And Ed Buller uh, was a key, he was a keyboard player in um, Psychedelic Furs, but he went on to become quite an amazing um, pop producer. And he was very, I think a lot of the, um, the lessons I learnt um, in my early songwriting career were from Ed. And, and some, and, you know, we sat down to, to create a record that, you know, he would get paid money for, i.e. that needed to end up on the radio. Yeah. And so he did some of the some of the little things he would do with us was he would he would time the songs and um if we hadn't gone to the chorus on the minute mark, he'd be <laughs> like, Okay, you need to go to the chorus. And then the other thing he would do classically as we as we're jamming and being like, you know, kids, he'd be like, Bored, you're boring me, I'm bored now. And uh, he the, also the other term which we ran with is woeful. He would, <laughs> <laughs> that sounds woeful. But what we learned from Ed Buller is that our job as songwriters is to keep the listener's attention. The moment they turn the dial on the radio or skip the song or go to another playlist, you've lost them. 
He taught us how to be objective with our own songs. If you're listening to the song and your attention starts to wander, then something different needs to happen in the song at that point. And it was a very valuable lesson. So thank you, Ed. And thank you very much, Ben Lee, Thanks, for having you into a, you. your jam room in the beautiful Laurel yeah, yeah, Canyon. Yeah. This has been Hat Jam, ladies and gentlemen. Hat Jam! Woo! Hat If you enjoy Hat Jam, then head over to our Patreon site and look for Hat Jam. If you're interested in hearing more about any of the artists on Hat Jam, then please head to our Facebook page, Instagram or website and follow the links. You can find Cav Temperley on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter at Cav Temperley or www.cavtemperley.com.au or follow us directly on at hatjam underscore podcast. This has been a Temperley production. 